welcome to the Oyster Stew Podcast. I'm Libby Hall, Director of Communications for Oyster Consulting. The requirement for broker-dealers to provide to regulators their expense-sharing agreements is not new, but it still keeps coming up every year in FINRA's exam priorities. We've covered this topic in a few of our FINOP-related podcasts, so we thought we'd make it easier for everyone if all of the expense-sharing information from our experts was in one place. Join us today as Jeff Harple and Clark Tucker, two of Oyster's FinOp consultants, discuss what is required and some of the finer points of creating expense sharing agreements. Clark, let's get started with you. Uh, Always an exciting topic, I know, but to summarize, expense sharing agreements are simply contracts from a parent provider company to a subsidiary or affiliate broker dealer for commonly shared costs such as personnel that split time between two entities or uh, real estate office space and utilities and things like that and jeff mentioned cost drivers these are not complicated they should be very simple helps with the fair and reasonable aspect of this that, that they be fairly determined and reasonably determined you know if you have an employee who is perhaps doing accounting in the parent company but spends 30 percent of his time in the subsidiary broker-dealer, you would want to properly credit charge the broker-dealer for its portion. And in this case, that driver would be time spent. So you would allocate 30% of the personnel cost for that and multiply that for any other individuals that, that have a similar role. On things like floor space, office space, rent, occupancy, utilities, telephones, equipment, very simply that can be done as you know a percentage of the total floor space that the broker dealer occupies as compared to the the larger entity. So if it's 10% of the office space, then 10% of the cost should be applied. I think where a lot of firms run into issues, as Jeff mentioned, is that they don't clearly explain those cost drivers in the Schedule A and show an example of how to do it, how they're going to allocate the cost. The specific numbers are probably less important than the methodology. If the methodology is fair and reasonably determined, and then the outcome of the allocations, meaning that the charges are consistently applied month after month, uh, most of the time firms don't have a problem with these agreements. They have to be properly executed, fairly determined, um, reasonable for the business, and then consistently applied. FINRA issued notice to members 0363, now 18 years ago. And most of the notice is crystal clear as to what's expected in them. The broker dealer, if it has a parent or an affiliate that is providing some shared services, be it rent or personnel or equipment, etc., you know, the broker dealer is still required to properly account for all of its own expenses, and that includes a portion of what was shared. And the expense sharing agreement just kind of confirms that in writing. You know, according to the notice to members, the broker dealer has to needs to have a written agreement with the parent or affiliate or whoever the provider, the third party provider. And there are a few criteria. The expenses have to be fair and reasonable in their determination, and then they must be consistently applied. In order to determine fair and reasonable, most firms will look at something like rent and assign a cost driver like a percentage of square footage. And that can typically cover rent and equipment and 
you know, physical assets. That's a pretty reasonable driver. For personnel, it might be the time spent. Employee of the parent or affiliate might spend 5%, 10% of their time on a new broker-dealer. And so you would apply 5 or 10% of that person or those people expense to the broker-dealer. And then you would record that, of course, monthly. So there would be other requirements on that, meaning that it has to be written. The third party, not just the broker-dealer, but the third party has to commit in writing to the broker-dealer that the broker-dealer is not directly or indirectly liable to any vendor for that expense. So the parent company signs a lease agreement for office space and the broker-dealer is using a portion of it. We've talked about how to allocate a portion of that expense. But also the parent is the lessee. And so the broker-dealer would not be directly or indirectly responsible for that expense. The parent or the third party is and the broker-dealer must reimburse that third party. So once we've worked out those details and written them down, typically on a Schedule A at the end of the expense agreement, we've agreed that the broker-dealer is not directly or indirectly responsible to the vendor, that it complies under GAAP. We would put that into the body of the agreement, and we would also include that in the Schedule A at the end of the agreement. And then where I have seen is typically that intercompany payable would need to be resolved at least annually. It doesn't have to be done monthly, but if we're accruing X dollars per month that were payable to our third-party provider, being the parent or affiliate, we need to resolve that periodically. We can do that a couple of ways with a cash payment or a forgiveness of the intercompany debt. But the key there is that we need to resolve it on a reasonable time basis. And also, both parties need to update that agreement. You know, the fact that we could have signed an agreement in 2013 probably no longer applies now. Personnel costs have certainly changed. Rent may have changed. Other factors uh, go in. So we should review the Schedule A portion at least annually. And if need be, sign a new agreement if something larger has happened. That would, of course, require a resubmission to FINRA. But just updating the Schedule A should be a routine process to make sure that it continues to be fair and reasonable in its determination and that it is still being consistently applied. With all of those things baked in, if you will, to the expense sharing agreement, firms shouldn't have a problem. Now, they can get more complex, but in most of the firms that, that we've seen, there's no real need to make it much more complex with larger companies and larger accounting divisions. It can get more complicated with the drivers, et cetera. But for, for limited purpose firms or small firms, it really can be this simple. Let's just come to agreement on what the costs are. Let's establish drivers. Let's allocate the actual percentages or, or numbers. And then let's record that consistently. And then we update it annually and we make sure that we're still on the same page. And I think if firms will do that, they really should not have any problems with expense sharing agreement. This is not too overly burdensome for either party. I stress to them that fair and reasonable is not just picking a number from the heavens. It means that we have, we've really actually tried to take a realistic look at it and reasonably apply those costs between the two. And that's why I identified different drivers for different things. Because a new broker-dealer, certainly if it's being 
layered on top of an existing company, the broker dealer's not taking 20% of the floor space or office space. And so to allocate 20% of that rent or whatever to the broker dealer would seem to be on the high side to me. Same with people. You know, different people might spend different percentages of their time on broker-dealer business. You know, we have an established business with all these salaried and well-compensated people. Some might spend 10% of their time. Some might spend five. Some might spend one. And the point is to try to intelligently review that and then document it appropriately. I would say that 20% number is arbitrary. I have seen where, as a first-pass, firms would opt for that, but I uh, attempt to stress with them that we need to make this as realistic as possible so that we don't have future problems. You know, I agree with Clark 100%, and and I guess I really want to stress a couple of things he said I think are really, really important. And one is the notion of reviewing it annually. His example of doing it in 2013 and still assuming it's good today, that that is usually a very bad assumption. I mean, and I think, yeah, reviewing it every year is the right thing to do. I also think firms sometimes can do a great expense sharing agreement. And then what they actually do is slightly different. So when you do it, make sure you have the processes and procedures to actually do what the agreement says. That's been, I've seen that be a problem. And the same thing as Clark said with paying it off. They might say in the agreement, we're going to pay it monthly and then don't, or they're going to pay it annually and all of a sudden they're paying it monthly. Just do what it says. And if you want to change your procedure, change the agreement too. It, it's not that hard. So I just wanted to emphasize those, those couple of things that I've seen go wrong. Uh, one other add-on that I would offer here with related to expense sharing agreements is depending on the capital needs of the broker-dealer, sometimes firms will settle up essentially paying the parent for its portion of costs on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis, and that's fine. That, that would be whatever is appropriate for those two entities in that unique situation. But it's perfectly permissible to have that become a little bit broader, say for a startup firm. It makes little sense for a startup firm to, in essence, cut a check to its parent to pay for shared expenses and then have the parent have to turn around and hand the money back as a capital addition. When drafting expense agreements, my one of my favorite phrases is that uh, these will be resolved at least annually and then set a date so that we can carry it on the broker-dealer's records throughout the year as a as a growing intercompany payable on the parent, it's a growing intercompany receivable. And then at the appropriate time, that those can be settled either by cutting a check if uh, uh, fortune favors us or uh, through a waiver of that intercompany debt, which also acts as a cashless capital contribution. The parent has that option as well, uh, simply executing a memo just as long as, as Jeff mentioned, as long as the documentation is there and the and the trail is easy to follow, when we can easily see what is being allocated, how it is being determined, that it's being consistently applied, and that we're re-evaluating periodically to make sure that the numbers and the ratios and the drivers still apply and are still reasonable, and it's being consistently applied. And then 
at the end that we're acting to resolve uh, whatever amounts owed one way or another in a timely manner. Beyond that, uh, it baffles me that, that firms still have issues with expense agreements. Thanks everyone for listening. If you'd like to learn more about our experts and how Oyster can help your firm, visit our website at oysterllc.com. And if you like what you heard today, follow us on whatever platform you listen to and give us a review. Reviews make it easier for people to find us. Have a great day. 